there's no ceiling to what you can achieve in your life if you're focusing on creating value for the other person and then you just scale that outreach, you can achieve anything. And so we don't use just one software. We do outreach for clients on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram, on email. We do bulk SMS outreach. Again, when we know that we're trying to help people, we don't mind spamming people because the targeting is right. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to grow their wealth by investing in US real estate. I'm your host, Reed Goosens, and so far, I've acquired over $800 million worth of investments on various properties across the United States. On this podcast, I interview go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business to learn more about their investment journey and the cutting-edge strategies they are applying towards building a legacy. For more on growing your own wealth and by investing in the US, visit www.reedgoosens.com. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of chatting with Andrew Lee Miller. Now, Andrew is a veteran startup marketer and a real estate investor from Silicon Valley who has driven three, three, not two, three early stage startups exits and has a dozen of companies help scale their business with limited budgets. He's written for INC Magazine, Startup Grind, Startup Nation, and has spoken in over 15 countries on bootstrap growth hacking. Andrew is also an author of the Startup Growth Book, one of the top selling books on Amazon, and he's a massive real estate investor. He's dialing in from Mexico. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today. Enough of me. Let's get him out of here. G'day, Andrew. Welcome to the show, mate. How are you doing today? Hey, Reed. Good day. How are you? Not massive. I don't. I want to be. I want to be massive eventually, investor. But yeah, thanks. So glad to be here, mate. No, my pleasure. And if you're looking or you're listening to this on iTunes, jump over to the YouTube channel because Andrew is in Puerto Vallarta. Incredible background. It's beautiful back there. We're just talking a little <laughs> bit in the, green, in the green room about how my wife and I and our new little baby went down to Sayulita for my birthday yeah. in uh, in March. Beautiful part of the Amazing. world. Only three hour dro- uh, three hour flight away from LA, but um, man, we can talk a lot about that. But let's get into it. Can you rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? Oh wow, what a question! Yeah, actually, you know, I was just reminiscing about this recently, so it's top of mind. I was eleven years old, and I told my parents I wanted to go. I'm from Ohio originally, and we were very famous for amusement parks, and I wanted to go to an amusement park, and my parents. We're like, oh, you have to work for that. You have to get your own money to go this summer to that. And I was like, how do I do that? And they took me to Walmart or Costco or something. And they helped me, you know, maybe gave me a loan. We bought like a couple cases of Coca-Cola or whatever. They took me and dropped me off at 11 years old at construction sites near a house. And I walked with like a radio flyer wagon and sold Coca-Cola the whole summer to pay for my family to go to this amusement park for summer. So learn the you know, the, you know, haggling and upselling and reselling and you know, how to treat your customers and all that at 11 years old that way. That is awesome. Thank you, mom and dad, for that lesson, yeah. because a lot of people yeah. don't get that lesson, right? And uh, I know part of, you know, the introduction that I mentioned earlier was like, you help businesses with limited budgets. It sounds like you from a very early age started with limited that. budgets and, and you know, yeah. selling selling a 50 cent can of Coca-Cola to for $1.50 to, yeah. to old mate on the construction site, yeah. I'm sure it wasn't easy. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then it went from there, uh, you know, because like I said, I was just recollecting this. When I was 16, Fast and the Furious was coming out and I was obsessed with washing my car. And my dad helped me create an auto detailing business. And I scaled that up to, a pl- I never thought I was going to go to college. I thought auto detailing empire would be my future. And I sold that. I was forced to sell that business at 18 and paid for college that way. And so 
Uh, I was well, hooked I, at that hey moment. Hey, mate, if, if, if you told me you were cousins with Vin Diesel, I would have believed you. So uh. <laughs> I get that a lot. Another reason to get off iTunes and come over to YouTube and see if you agree. I mean, I've, I've DM'd him on Instagram like, hey, mate, can I show up to a concert or, something, or a yeah. festival for, as you? And he never responded, but but I'm I'm available, Vin. If you're watching this, he's in LA, so I'm, maybe I'm sure this. he's definitely watching this. Wink, wink. Hell, I'm fucking sure he's no. in a, a real estate investor too. I'm exactly, sure. or, or he could be a potential future one. Anyway, so he should be investing in your syndicate, mate. Exactly, exactly. Well, t- t- now walk us through the journey of college into the success you had with. I mentioned in the introduction, you've had three early stage startup exits. And yeah. just explain what those companies were and how you stumbled into those, uh, those those companies. Stumbled is absolutely the right word, I think. So I went to college for general business. My family back has a business background in entrepreneurialism as well. And so I, I thought, oh, I guess I'm just going to go work for my family. I sold my business for a low, low six figures exit, but I was like 19. It was amazing. In college, I started meeting people from different countries and I switched to international business because I just thought, oh, this is cool. I'm from a small town in Ohio. I want to learn languages. And you had to take language classes to get that degree. And I'm, I'm of Arabic ancestry and my family doesn't speak Arabic. So I was like, oh, I want to learn Arabic. But the timing in the decade that it was, they had banned teaching Arabic in a middle, small part of Ohio because of September 11th, as embarrassing as that sounds, that was their decision. So I switched to Spanish. And as I was graduating, had a Spanish teacher that was like, hey, you should go to Puerto Vallarta. I have a family there that'll let, help you get fluent in Spanish. So I moved down here and um, you know, lived with that family for a year, actually, in their house, got fluent in Spanish. It's literally in this background, kind of over by this dilapidated construction project. Through them, got a, head, a job as head of digital marketing for the biggest tourism company in Puerto Vallarta built out the digital marketing. I literally stumbled into, like you said, built out their digital marketing, realized that this is the wave of the future. And so I started promoting myself on the internet as a marketing expert even a long time ago, or a marketing consultant, moved to Dubai, started a marketing agency with a local partner there. And um, one of our clients, I had the data that they needed a full-time hire. And I convinced them to hire me. I sold back my equity in the agency, joined this startup, which was a classifieds copy, uh, like a Craigslist copy with a profile functionality. So that was very early before OfferUp and all the stuff that we have in the US now, Facebook Marketplace. So joined that company and then a year and a half later, we sold it for $190 million. It was only in Dubai when I joined. And then a year and a half later, we were in 25 countries in three languages with 10 million monthly active users. And that was all done through growth hacking and very limited budgets, a lot of partnerships, media partnerships. We partnered with Rihanna, partnered with the UFC, did a lot of growth hacking stuff. And I was just hooked. So I parlayed that success to another exit in Dubai after that because, you know, it was the first real tech exit in the region. And then had a couple failures, got sick of the lack of innovation. I mean, a lot of it is just copying what's getting big in the US out before it gets out there. And so then I moved to Silicon Valley and I was like, I want to prove to myself that I actually know what I'm doing against the best marketers in the world. And I took a long time interviewing companies, picked a travel startup, and two and a half years later, helped that company exit. That was a much smaller than $190 million exit, but it was um, a 500 startups company in San Francisco. So it made a decent amount of noise for me as a marketer. And then 
I decided I can replicate this over and over again. I want to own the situation as a consultant. I want to be working with you know five to ten projects at once. They started an agency called Growth Experts, which I now run. It was fully remote since day one and enabled me to travel and work with companies outside of Silicon Valley, basically bridging the gap of that knowledge that we have there. Uh, you know, the data-driven marketing. You know, no such thing as a stupid idea. Love of failure. All these other concepts that aren't naturally known in other places. And that's why I've gone around the world speaking, spoken and writing books, trying to bridge that gap since then. Justin, fascinating, man. Like that's an incredible story. And Thanks, particularly man. from an Arabic kid from, from uh, the butt f- nowhere, Ohio. <laughs> yeah. You literally called it. That's exactly how we say it. Yeah. 3,000 person village grew up in. Yeah. And my entire family still don't have passports. They never visited. I mean, I love them. And actually, since COVID, I've been like, maybe they know something because they didn't have a mask mandate. They didn't have any stress, no, nothing. Everybody's just living on their massive sprawling estates in this small town. And so, you know, I don't, I don't talk bad about it anymore, but yeah, yeah, I've come a long way since then. That's awesome. So you mentioned the word growth hacking. What does that even mean? It, it seems very clickbaity. You know, obviously we're on a podcast, we're trying to get, you know, views, we've written books, we've both written books. But yeah. what, what, like when you break it down, it's one of those words that you say growth hack and someone's like, oh yeah, throw all the money at them. Like, what does that, what does that even mean? It's just, it's a cool way of saying what. Yeah, you're right. I mean, every, a lot of things are buzzwords, but at the end of the day, growth hacking is essentially figuring out how to grow your business without financial resources, right? So if you have a company that's in a super competitive space and you have a big budget, I mean, we've worked with Tinder, we've worked with BVVA Bank and other big organizations where we do have large budgets, but our agency is focused on driving growth without a lot of um, capital to do so. Even when we work with really well-funded companies, we want to prove out the marketing strategies, the messaging, the landing pages, the pricing, the types of content, the channels that we're marketing on organically. And then we scale up with, with the budget that we have. So growth hacking is essentially making growth happen with limited resources. And there's to put it into layman's terms, there's two main ways to do that. One is through hacking your product or your user experience. So you know, with a podcast, it's, you know, injecting more messaging around telling people to share this or incentivizing people to share the podcast. Like, you know, if you share the podcast and someone signs up to, to subscribe, we're going to pick one subscriber and the person who referred them to win a real estate investing course from Reed or something, you know, that's growth hacking. How can mm-hmm. I cr- increase the virality of the product? With a mobile app or a website, it's how do I push people to import contacts? How do I push people to share on social media? How do I incentivize one user to bring in multiple users. That's growth hacking because it doesn't cost really anything. Uh, And then the second way is hacking existing communities, which is more valuable for you, I think. How do you get into a real estate investing community to create exposure to those people? That's growth hacking. You can run an ad on Facebook targeting people in the Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups about real estate investing, but that costs money. Maybe you don't have or, or have, haven't validated the product enough to really want to spend money on the marketing. So we try to do that through organic me- means. And in the end of the day, it's, it's, it sounds like an evil thing, but it's, it's really about creating value in your message and value in your targeting. And that's how growth hacking works, I think. Gotcha. No, it very, and thank you for explaining that because it's a lot of things. And as you, as you said that out loud, I was thinking about all the things that like I'm a coach and on a platform for real estate investors and I was asked by the founder to come on and it's like, you know, I, I, I don't 
get paid to be there, but it's like, you know, I'm, I'm getting exposure to folks that could raise money for me or find me deals or do something. And, but it's, I've got a position of, of power or value. And it's, um, I've always thought when I moved to this country, it's like, I remember going to conferences and if you're standing on the front of, uh, with, uh, in front of the room with the microphone, you're like, 30% more likely to know what you're talking about, even if you don't know what you're talking about because yeah. you're, you're the one with the yeah. mic. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's about getting into those different rooms. And I guess what you're trying to say is it's helping companies realize what rooms or digital rooms or groups or whatever to get into those, it, penetrate those, those ideas to then grow the business because you'll have a captive audience. Would that be a, yeah. a, a, a roundabout yeah, way of saying I mean, it? That is one part of it is absolutely like, that initial launch marketing, it's about answering those questions, right? Who is the absolute target demographic? Where are they staying? What message resonates with them? What are the features and pricing of our product that they're either willing to pay or interested in? And fine-tuning that message, fine-tuning that targeting, and then scaling up the strategies that work. So all of that early stage marketing, if you don't want to call... I mean, before growth hacking, the term existed, I called it aggressive online marketing. So going back to that $190 million exit that I drove, you know, the growth hacking as a term wasn't out there, but I had extreme confidence that we had a way better product than anybody else in the market. And again, you want that as a marketer, right? You know, there's a lot of liars and fake people out there talking about real estate investing. You know that you are saving people and you're actually helping people avoid losing their money by putting out the right ideas, the right way to do things. So when you have that mindset, then you can be aggressive with the marketing because you're not just trying to sell, sell, sell. We're actually just trying to help people avoid the problems that exist in the market. That startup that we sold for 190 million, that was the first ever website in that region that you had to have a local mobile number to create an ad. So with our product, there was no more international scams. People were way safer. And I wanted to get that message out as much as possible. So I could be doing, you know, bulk SMSing and you know going speaking at events literally handing flyers out to people moving into new apartments to use these websites for finding and selling cars and etc cetera, etc cetera. and all of that because i know our product is better so at the very origin of it the very beginning of it is that i know we have a superior product that helps people and that's why i can be aggressive with the marketing what are you focused on today as part of your you know in the introduction i mentioned you've read you've written a book Right. And now you help other businesses grow with limited budgets. So what does the role look like today in terms of how you pivoted away from, you know, startups and massive early exits and all that good stuff? Yeah. So like I said, after that third exit, I saw that these these common problems are very replicable. And the majority of what we focus on is helping engineering and product focused founders who are far away from marketing. A lot of times they believe the product will do the marketing on its own without any real focus. And they don't think about marketing until it's either too late or they've just raised funding. And then they, they scramble to hire an internal team. They run ads themselves and waste a lot of money. Or even worse, read they do nothing. So our agency does three main things. If they have a team in place, we do training and workshops to skill them. You know, Sometimes that's with corporate incubators. They're nine to five employees, don't know that growth hacking marketing stuff, or they're older and they want to be brought up into the modern world. We do obviously consulting. Is, is the biggest bread and butter, but it's a very small subset. The clients have to have raised at least a million dollars. And usually they're in B2B SaaS because those are the really the easily replicable marketing strategies um, that work for them. And they really just need leads and promotion and thought leadership for their CEO. And then the other thing we do is bootstrap coaching. So you're mentioning you're a coach. I grew the coaching program over the last five years 
out of necessity. There are so many cool companies, you know, black and female and minority founders that are away from venture capital, not in Silicon Valley, that have these amazing projects that are early stage. And so we kind of created this done with you program where we get them a full-time digital marketing intern. And I come in as like a fractional CMO and coach them through finalizing the marketing messaging and the product for virality, growth hacking the product, launching their initial organic strategies, getting them the traction that they need to go raise money, and then introducing them to VCs and hopefully helping them raise money after that. And that's what you're doing 24-7 today, right? I mean, not 24-7. Like the reason we're doing this call is, I mean, I'm making much more money with the real estate investing, but I'm, I'm like the last project I just was telling you about before the call of, of in Puerto Vallarta of selling this development was extremely stressful and nerve wracking. But the amount of learning was, I mean, I haven't learned that much in several years because I, you know, once you get to expert level in something, you're able to help other people learn and coaching and teaching. But the learning for me, like scratched a new itch. And I think I'm a little bit obsessed now. And so the money is awesome. But I actually, you know, you mentioned that you came to Sayulita. I've been living off and on in Puerto Vallarta for 17 years, fluent in Spanish. I'm a permanent resident. I'll get the passport next year. And I'm really passionate about bridging the gap for people who are interested in investing in Mexico because I'm connected here. And so I think not 24-7 on the market. I would say it's 30 hours a week on the marketing agency stuff and another 30 hours a week on the real estate investing stuff. And then another 30 hours a week for, <laughs> I don't know, the next <laughs> the next thing. No, well, clearly you have a passion for the marketing thing. Like it's in your blood. I can you can you can feel it through the camera, right? Like it's there is there's an energy there that that gets you going and get gets you out of bed every day. So uh, yeah, no, without, without without being too uh, without being too sentimental, but I think let's pivot and talk about investing in Mexico. Like this whole podcast is called Investing in the U.S. It was my v- journey to the U.S. and speaking about the benefits of investing in U.S. real estate. Guess what? The secret out, guys, is real estate across the globe, right? Yeah. You know, I, I travel to many different countries. Obviously, my home country in Australia. I've traveled to Puerto Vallarta and Sayulita. I've traveled to the Philippines. I've traveled across the globe. And there nice. is a massive amount of opportunity given what I have learned in the US and mm-hmm. replicating it in other developing countries. So with that being said, I'm going to hand the mic back over to you. What have you been seeing in terms of the major movement since COVID in the Mexico market and, and how how are you seeing, what, what are you seeing people buying right now? Yeah. So I totally agree with you and diversification is really important. You know, I mean, Nobody knows really what's going to happen in the US market, but there's a lot of third world markets that are really coming up because of the advancement of remote work and Americans are going and buying abroad. And so that's what I'm saying. Bridging that gap for me has become very profitable. People that are fresh off the boat coming down, they have a big opportunity to be taken advantage of. And so I'm alleviating that issue. But my real estate investing career actually started in Australia. Funny enough, if if you know different... I mean, I didn't buy something in Australia, but if you know different.com.au, I launched our agency launched that startup in 2017. They're the largest property management startup in, in Australia, prop tech startup in Australia. And I went to Australia and worked with them and I saw how everybody owns property in Sydney. Like it's like a huge thing. And so they invented this incredible tool just for a hundred Australian a month. They use apps to manage your property rather than a percentage. It's a really, really powerful company. And I learned, I kind of got a, wow, I need to buy something. I'm in my 30s. And so I went back to Ohio 
Uh, and I was like, you know, uh, this is an undervalued market. I should be buying in Ohio because I know the market really well. And I got pre-approved for two fourplexes and I got into the due diligence and inspections and everything. And then as a, my tax return came through from the year before, and I think it had was like 10K less than the year before. And as an entrepreneur and self-employed, I, I did not get approved for those properties after wasting a lot of money and time. And that's when I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to Mexico where there, there's cash only because I had the cash, but I'm, you know, the difficulties in the US of being, I think, um, self-employed around those, getting those loans kind of turned me off. And that's what made me come to Mexico. And then I, like I said, I realized, oh, wow, I'm, I'm pretty well advanced knowledge of this market compared to a lot of people. And so right before COVID, my wife and I came back here and started looking around and seeing some things. And maybe we're, we thought we were a little bit too ahead of the remote work explosion. And then COVID happened and the market took a dive a little bit. And we took the advantage of that and bought some things. And I was telling Reed right before we started recording, the first big win that we had was we bought a property specifically to build a, a two-unit multifamily for ourselves and then went to get the city's structure tests and approval. And they approved us for seven units. And so we, we, I tried to be Reed, tried to raise a syndicate, realized this is way too much learning for me to, you know, the, I'm not ready for this kind of league yet. And so I spent, you know, maybe $25,000 working with an architect on designs, plans, all the tests. And then I actually sold the property for 3x my initial investment in less than two years to a developer with a lot of that groundwork done. So American investor who did not have the local knowledge, we found, we did all the paperwork, we got the designs, got everything approved by local city. He just had the cash, came in. And actually, we've now become friends and are talking about doing more projects together. And so that was the first win. Then we went to Mexico City. Mexico City is has a lot less regulations for foreigners to buy because Puerto Vallarta, if you're buying in Mexico, I think 50 kilometers towards the coast, you have to go in a bank trust, which is scary to a lot of foreign investors. You are the only trustee. It's safe. You own it. But it's still like one degree separation that makes people worried a little bit. you know. So we're like, let's go do something in Mexico City. It's the number one fastest growing destination abroad for Americans in the world. And uh, it's unbelievable. It's like, if, you, if, if you're listening and you haven't been there, definitely go to Mexico City, support local businesses if you can, because a lot of Americans are not. And so we want to make sure we balance that out. But we bought a place in Roma Norte, which is like the, the heart of the town, single family, and it's renting for 1% of the purchase cost already. And we're going to flip that pretty soon with no spend, because again, bridging that gap. And so first two projects down, in Mexico. And, you know, after talking to Reed, I think I'm going to get my stomach is going to grow and maybe I'll do bigger things. And if you're listening to this and you want to talk about stuff in Mexico, I can definitely share insight. But I know uh, I'm on like a little island on my own down here. So there isn't a lot of people talking these conversations, which is why I was so excited to be on your podcast. So a lot of people that buy in Mexico are buying for their own retirement. And that's the majority of the purchasing down here. But, you know, less on the investor side because there still is a higher risk than buying in America because you are not a citizen. Um, so you really need to know how to balance that with high reward. And I think there's a massive, massive opportunity for you to be the boots on the ground and be that trusted advisor. Like I, I have a lot of, not a lot, but there's a portion of my investors invest with me because I'm Australian, right? And and or, or, you know I'm a foreigner and I figured out I figured out the boots on the ground having that same boots on the ground in Mexico 
would be very, very powerful, particularly someone who's like, I can help you soup to nuts from a ground up development point of view. I can help you with the building entitlements. I can help you with the planning, with the city and the zoning. I can help you with the architecturals. I can help you with the, you know, even with the bidding, you know, like, and, and, and that, that's all for a, a fee based service. If you want to, you know, I come from that world. I come from ground up construction. That's what, like, where my brain goes to because Interesting. that's, that's how you put things together. Like, there's buildings in the background that you point to, multiple store high stock high rises. Someone's put that together, right? Yep. Someone's put yeah. the money together, the dirt together, went and got the approvals by the city and figured out how to bring all the pieces together and that's what a developer is. And it ain't rocket science. And it goes back to my what I was saying earlier, there's, de- there's real estate across the globe. Local developers are doing this in every single city. You can, from third world countries all the way through to major metropolitans like Singapore or Dubai, yeah. you know, like they're just doing it on steroids where- you know, building a, a, a duplex in Puerto Vallarta compared to, it's you know, the, the 150 stories, stu- yeah. <laughs> you know, on a, on a man-made island in Dubai, like they fundamentally have the same, you know, buckets you have to fill, right? How do you get the city to sign off on it? How do you get the funding? How do you then go and execute, you know, in terms of construction and how do you sell the bloody thing? So mm-hmm. all those four things are still relevant no matter where you are across the globe. So I think it's a massive opportunity for you. And I'm you know, selfishly, when I was in uh, Sayulita earlier in the year, I was like, there's a massive need for self-storage down here. You can see it, right? And self-storage is very, very simple to build. Mm. And it's also very secure in terms of having offsite remote management because it's all about fob systems and cameras and entryways mm-hmm. and having, you know, your your app, you know, mm. scan you in and you don't have to you don't have to have anyone on site because it's like you're hiring a box to store crap in, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a roller door. Put it in. Here's here it is. Unlock it via your phone, and off you go. So yeah, we should definitely talk offline about you know the developments you're seeing because I I have seen that myself firsthand and and clearly. So just a quick question, a few questions around about you know probably the fear. Let's talk about the fear factor of investing in Mexico. There's a lot of fears when you don't know. So you mentioned something very very specific there. Can you walk us through? The checklist that the average American would have to go through, and I've got the checklist. When people ask me about investing here in the US, there's probably mm-hmm. a very basic checklist that you got to go through if you're going to be a foreign inv- investing in 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 Mexico. Great question, and I don't think I did that on the first time. You know? <laughs> no, I mean because so w- what I did was I leaned on a 10 year architect close relationship to come and do an inspection of the property with me personally. And both of us had such a strong knowledge of the local market that I felt really confident. But I think in retrospect, you have to go do that due diligence with the city. Or even if you don't speak Spanish, you have to pay someone to go do that. You know, what are the legal ramifications of building to what I want to build? Because, you know, it's still kind of old school with greasing hands and some things like that. And so it's a little bit of a gray area what you can and can't do. Like we were only approved for seven units in our tower, but the developer had bigger, deeper pockets that bought it from me. He's doing nine units and I didn't ask how he got that approval or whatever. And so you want to make sure that um, there aren't any issues outlined. So the property that we bought in Mexico City, there was a legal battle for the developer with the whole building that we were not aware of when we purchased it. In the end, it's going to be okay because we're not going to flip it for a while, but the legal battle will be over with before we go flip it. But if I was desperate to get that cash quickly, it would have absolutely hurt us. And so we didn't do the due diligence on the building with the city to just make sure that everything's clear with the building. We were just focused on the unit itself. And so I think the biggest difference from America 
to Mexico that I've seen, and hopefully, well, this doesn't get translated into Spanish and then it goes to me killed over here or whatever. But I think that there's a lot more under the table things that happen from developers. So, you know, with the current administration, oh, let us do this development. You know, we're not going to, you know, have the proper safety equipment, but I'll give you this little, you know, greasing of the palm. And then later when someone else recognizes what you did, or that's not up to code, the administration's changed. The guy whose palm got greased is long gone. You're left with the check there on that. And so it didn't happen to me really like that, but I have heard of those things happening. So that's obviously really scary if you're doing a really big project. I don't know if you can see, can you see right here? Yep. There is literally a poster on a develop on a development that says like, beware doing business with this architect because he ran away with our money or something. I mean, like it's literally wow. so I'm not trying to scare everybody away from doing things, just you do need to have that local partner. All of these scenarios are developers that come in from other parts of Mexico and take advantage of the local small town that I'm living in or something like that. And so you have to have somebody that can speak fluent Spanish that's in the offices, making sure that everything is by the book. We toured a property yesterday, my wife and I, the developer owner is an engineer himself, and he showed us how he avoided all those issues. Oh, there was a gray area with this back wall with the other property. So I just built three meters away from it because I don't want to have any issue down the line. We're like, that's a great sign. Somebody that's building from the very beginning, avoiding any kind of long-term issues that might arise. Because oh, you you know what? We built right up to that last wall because there is a gray area. It's not, you know what? No, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want anybody who buys from me to have to deal with that. I'm going to do this by the book. And so I think uh, that scares a lot of people out of stuff, but I don't think, I do think it's totally avoidable. It's just kind of like, I say this in marketing too. The easy way is never the right way. You know, you right. got to do things the hard yeah. way with real 100%. estate investing to make sure that you're covering everybody's ass. If you do it the right way, you understand just the worst case scenario. If it goes quicker or something goes through a little easier. Taking a step back, you know, like when I talk to internationals about investing in the US, like there's a couple of things we have to do fundamentally. And that's like legally get set up in the in the US, right? Like as, as a syndicator, I never want to take on someone's money. You know, if you said, came to me and said, hey, Reid, I want to invest $50,000 into your deal, here's $50,000. I'm like, uh-uh, go get your own, <laughs> go, go get your own LLC set up. I can set you up with the right CPAs and lawyers who will set up the LLC. It's a couple of thousand bucks on the front end, but then you're set up for life and you can invest with whoever you want. So on the flip side of Mexico, are you, are people setting up the equivalent of LLCs are they getting bank accounts then in in Mexico to then fund the bank account to then fund the purchase and go through local title companies? Like any sort, like, talk a little bit about that side of the coin. Yeah. So if you are an American or Australian that's listening to this and you just want to buy a, another home in Mexico, you don't have to do anything. You can buy without even coming here. And a lot of the agents that come and pick us up at our house. By the way, they pick you up at their house at your house to take you to look at properties here, which just blows my mind and. We go see more properties because of that. I love that Mexican hospitality. I mean, but they tell me that a lot of people buy sight unseen because it's, you know, you sell your house in LA for 1.8 million, you can buy something 350 or 500K and you're like, yeah, it's fine. I'll just, I'll get there when I get there. And so they just create the bank trust for you. Everything's done for you. Um, again, if it's near the ocean, it has to be bought through that bank trust, but you're the only trustee on it and you can And, and does the bank and trust like then own the deed? Bank trust owns the deed, but you own the bank trust. And so, you know, I haven't heard of any nightmares of anything happening. It's literally a workaround. Like, so 
1920s, I want to say, the Mexican government wanted to stop foreigners from buying up all the beach properties and allow that to be, you know, only for locals and then, you know, proper proud Mexican pride. And they made this a workaround. So, that, oh, it's a Mexican bank that owns your property, but you're still allowed uh, to purchase gotcha. it, right? And so that's the workaround there. But um, is that regardless if you're using all cash? Like if you're coming and buying a $500,000 property, you still have yeah, to go no, through this I bank trust? Yeah, I only buy cash. Yeah, there, okay. there's very little loan opportunities in Mexico. The rates are even worse than the United States. I mean, I just got a refi for the pro- property in Mexico at 8%, which isn't that crazy, I think. I mean, the Mexico City. But like you can't, it's pretty much all hard cash. You can't really get loans. There's some cross. Another opportunity, lenders. another opportunity for hard money lending. I hear, I keep, keep going. You know, like there's, there's absolutely, a whole. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and the upside because like we we know as investors, the more risk, the more reward. So yeah, I pointed to there's prop there's projects like this there that get maybe shut down. I mean, you can see that there's a stalled project even right 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 here as well, and that's some local administration stuff. It's also rainy season. So some of them are like, you know, staying away on days when there's a big storm coming, if you can see right here. But, uh, but, two, but yeah. Two, no, they, two, two droplets of rain. Oh, shut the, shut the site down. You know, we go, yeah, yeah. let's, let's, let's no, go dude. have a cerveza. <laughs> no, dude. In, in Mexico, it ain't no two droplets of rain. It's like, <laughs> a, you should have seen it. Like we were touring a property yesterday, actually, not to go off topic. And it was both sides of the property have a balcony. It was just a, a three bedroom uh, penthouse or whatever. And, all of a sudden, from one side became total whiteout, like you all were in the cloud. Wow. And then we look at the entrance, and it was no, it was all sunny and no rain yet. I mean, we were inside, and we were in the deluge very quickly. But, but no, so it's all hard money, so it's really easy. But you have to get that bank set up, and then if you do in Guadalajara or Mexico City, there is no bank trust. You just go. You know, there's there's really even no escrow stuff done here. You just pay your ten percent on the on the initial signing and then at the, at the closing, which they call escritura, is 30 days later usually. And um, yeah, that's when you wire over the other 90%. And I literally just used Wise, like, boom, here you go. And, uh, and, and there's no recording of a deed that transfers the name of you know the oh, existing- no, no. there's a deed. There's a big, thick deed. Good. That's okay. what the escritura is. And I mean, everything's very legit. We go through a notario, a notary. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. a notary in Mexico is a very prestigious job. It's not, there's only a limited amount, like five per city. And they have like really lavish offices. And they're some, in some sense, they're like um, more like a district attorney or something than, than, than really like a lawyer. And every property sale has to go through that office and be signed off by that notary. And so it's very legit. I felt very safe every time. I love the Mexican market. I think you just, there's a big difference from buying your house to doing investment properties. And like you said, all that, I mean, it was two years of work due diligence for me before we ever decided that we wanted to sell the development, like with like the, you know, constantly going back, oh no, that person's not here. You got to come back to the office to get this little piece of paper to sign off on this structural test, this electrical test, this, all these different things. And that is where I was like, oh, wow, there's a huge opportunity here for foreign developers. Massive opportunity. Never going to want to do that. But the upside is massive because, you know, you need to know the local market, but then the global expertise is, I think, what's lacking in places like this too. So, you know, being able to have several projects under your belt and really know the numbers and what they mean, um, and even like the average fluctuations just we can get that data from developers here now. I've, you know, I have enough of those local friends. 
And then the local knowledge of how things work with a couple, you know, you call it like, not bribes, it's not really that, yeah, but yeah. it's, you know, oiling the, the cogs to make the wheel work faster. It's legitimately how things are still done. Maybe I shouldn't say it on recording, but it is still how <laughs> things are done here. Well, Can't I do, do that look, in America. It, but it's, it goes back to having the local boots on the ground. I think there's a massive opportunity for you that you've seen that there's a niche for Americans and then providing that, that bridge for Americans who want to invest locally, particularly in the development space, right? Obviously, there's mm-hmm. the whole plethora of you know, buying existing single family and doing you know, a bit Airbnb all the way through to finding a piece of dirt, you know, going and getting it entitled you know, and getting it approved and taking, you know, a year to get that sort of stuff and everything in between, right? So, um, so awesome, man. What's the, you know, as we wrap up the show, what's the sort of plan over the next 12 months in, in regards to attracting more people into Mexico and, and investing in Mexico where you are? You know, this call has really energized me. I wasn't really thinking, you know, I want to raise a syndicate. Like I said, I tried looking into that. I, I had calls with people who've done it and I'm like, this is too much learning for me. But now that speaking to you, I'm like, maybe I really should. So if anybody's listening to this and is interested, you can find me at andrewstartups.com or Andrew Startups on social media. I'm interested to chat. Maybe Reed wants to do another project. I'm open to it because I do have maybe more local knowledge than anybody under 40 from America <laughs> in the whole country, probably. For me, my wife and I are looking for two more residential um, flips. So we were looking to buy something from a Mexican family that wants to retire helping pay more than they're asking, get them a cash offer really quickly and help them retire and then spend the next year or two turning because they have huge sprawling like uh, plots with like usually generally small homes on it. Mm -hmm. So raz that, turn that into multifamily or something that still respects the local neighborhood and not like, you know, 20 stories crazy thing. As you see, not a lot of super high rises here. That's usually to respect the view. You see that the mountains are still really there, but there's a big opportunity to just put like three villas and things like that. So looking at two to three more projects like that, because we have that crew and that team in place. So that that's our plan. But definitely, I mean, if you're telling me I'm leaving money on the table from doing just those small things myself. I think you might be. Open. I, think you, yeah. I think you might I'm be, open, my friend. <laughs> I'm open to bigger stuff. I mean, at the same time, I'm also doing a lot of startup stuff. I mean, you know, with my knowledge, I'm partnering with tech builders and we're flipping some tech things as well. And so those, there's a couple extra zeros on those kinds of projects with obviously less 100%. moving pieces. So yeah, doing yeah, yeah. a lot of that as well. But, but the real estate stuff is so fun because of the learning. I'm not really learning a lot from all those tech projects anymore. So, uh, but, yeah, you, but I mean, to, to what you said earlier, you've got to expert status in that area, right? Where it comes naturally. And when I hear you speak about the three three meter wall setback. It's like that's just an engineering problem. Of course, you'd figure that out because you know I come exactly. from the engineering world. And I come from the ground up construction world. So it's powers with it's your own unique ability and what's your unique power. And to other people that would be like, fuck, I don't know anything about making you know one hundred ninety million dollar startup exit. You know, but I know everything about you know engineering. So it's just what your unique power is. So I'm, it sounds awesome, dude. I'm really really pumped and excited for you. You know, in the next uh, couple of years. With Thanks, that being mate. said, we uh, have to wrap this show up. We like to do, at the end of every show, a five-question lightning round. So, you ready to get do into it. it? Yes, All please. Right. Question number one, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? I got a lot, but one that is very controversial is I wake up and I grab my phone and, I, and, I, and everybody does that, but I don't have any social media on my phone except for LinkedIn. And that's a whole other tangent, but I found that if you have 
only LinkedIn on your phone, you, you, your brain goes there for the dopamine and you engage a lot. And so I don't have time throughout the day to really be on LinkedIn. So the first thing I do in the morning is obviously put out the immediate fires while I'm still in bed, you know, cuddling with the wife, whatever, like half looking at the phone, half looking at her. But um, I go and I do at least like 10 or 15 minutes of engagement on LinkedIn, you know, commenting, liking, following. And I've only been doing that for a couple of months, but my impressions have gone up to about 10,000, 12,000 impressions a month on LinkedIn just from putting that engagement in instead of scrolling on Instagram. I don't do any Instagram, any Twitter, any TikTok, none of that. And I put, put, put all my effort into engaging in LinkedIn. So I find that that enables me to not look at it through the rest of the day, which when you have social media and your notifications, it can really break up your productivity through the day. 100%. So I get that dopamine very early in the morning and then I don't touch it the entire rest of the day. So that enables me to, you know, uh, so I wake up around eight. I get out of bed at like 8.30. I don't have any calls until 10. So I get my gym and everything, breakfast all done before the calls. And then I'm able to usually do two to three hours, four hours of calls. And then the rest is high productivity hustle mode till the end of the day. And so I get all those things done early rather than, oh, I got to go to the gym still. I got to finish up. So yep. I want to get it all done and then focus on work. And I think that's the thing that helps me the most. Question number two is who's been the most influential person in your career to date? Man, that's a great one. You know, I don't really like the guy anymore, but the guy who gave me my first job out of college here in Puerto Vallarta is a massive, massive $60 million a year entrepreneur in the tourism space. And he has a very scarcity focused mentality. So I don't learn from him anymore, but he gave me my first opportunity. He had the vision. Digital marketing is going to be really huge in 2007. And I was, you know, I knew barely anything. And he gave me the job, bought me every marketing book under the sun, um, just believed in it. And then that vision as an entrepreneur, thinking in decades rather than in years, it changed my life and really made me realize. And then once I saw the success, I mean, I made him millions and millions of dollars for my $700 a week salary or whatever it was. I realized the power of myself and my career and the confidence goes up. And so I think, you know, that was the biggest game changer for me. But I then now since COVID, I mean, we spent some time together when we first moved back to Puerto Vallarta and I saw that he hadn't really grown mentally. I mean, maybe the numbers had gone up or whatever, but still working seven days a week when you're at that kind of numbers uh, made me fall out of love with, with him as, an as a mentor. But, um, but yeah, he kickstarted everything that I've told you today was from that awesome, one opportunity. Awesome stuff. Question number three is what's the most influential tool in your business that you can't do without? So a tool could be a journal, a physical tool, or a phone, or it's a piece of software you just can't run the business without. What is it? I think outreach, cold outreach. Like we, I believe my team reached out to you for this interview, cold, because they liked your pod. We liked your podcast. And I was like, yo, get me on this show. <laughs> you know? and so the, the greatest tool, I mean, that's how I got that job with that guy I was just telling you about. That's how I got to Dubai. That's how I got that real estate opportunity was reaching out to the, the owner that I knew and being like, hey, you should retire. Let me take this off your hands, blah, blah, blah. You know? And so I think that the power of the cold message and outreach is the greatest thing I could not do without both personally and professionally. I met my wife off of Instagram from a cold DM as well. And so it's literally the same thing. It's like the ability... There's no ceiling to what you can achieve in your life if you're focusing on creating value for the other person, and then you just 
you know, scale that outreach, you can achieve anything. And so we don't use just one software. We do outreach for clients on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram, on email. We do bulk SMS outreach. Again, when we know that we're trying to help people, we don't mind spamming people because the targeting is right. If you get a targeted message, if you get a message with free credit for your favorite restaurant and you didn't ask for it, you're still happy because it's your favorite restaurant and it's free money. And so that's kind of what we focus on there. Question number four, in one sentence, what's been the biggest failure in your career? What did you learn from that failure? For the first two exits in Dubai, I joined a Yelp copy and uh, in Dubai and launched reviewing in the country. And I learned and we failed after two and a half years with 100,000 social media followers, like half a million monthly active users. And the failure was I picked the wrong jockey for the horse. I didn't know that at that young age, I just was really in love with the problems that we were trying to solve. And I didn't realize that it's also very important to pick a founder that you believe in, a founder that has the right motivations, a founder that is going to be able to weather the storm. And as an early employee, that's very important. You have to pick the jockey and the horse. Final question is, where can people reach you to continue the conversation that will be in your sphere? Where do they go? Yes. So I'm Andrew Startups on all social media. Even though I don't have it on my phone, I do check the Instagram and everything once a day on the desktop. I'm Andrew Startups on LinkedIn and andrewstartups.com. And my email is me, M-E at andrewstartups.com. My book is The Startup Growth Book. It's on Amazon or startupgrowthbook.com. Awesome stuff, man. Well, I want to thank you so much for jumping on today's show. I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. I think your ability to identify opportunity, even from an early age, you knew that Ohio wasn't for you and putting yourself out there, moving to a different country, learning Spanish, moving to Dubai, you're truly, uh, you wouldn't expect a kid from, uh, but f- no, excuse my language, in Ohio to, to, go, to go and conquer the world that you've done. So, Kudos to you, man. You've taken the bull by two horns, and now you've been able to stumble across something where I think, just given my experience with moving to the United States and creating the investing in US brand and RSN and all that stuff, being the expert in your field to help other foreigners in new countries, i.e. you helping people come into Mexico and figuring out the mousetrap is very lucrative. Trust me, when I've when I've done it for my business, millions and millions of dollars start to, to, to funnel through because they trust you for who mm-hmm. you are because you have figured it out, right? You have gone out and figured out, well, avoid this dodgy architect because he's on the side of a, a billboard on the side of a building back there. Um, yeah, yeah, all, yeah. The, all the way through to understanding the process of you know using a bank trust and how you're getting it closed and protecting the investor's downside is so important because there is massive opportunity. People get scared about the massive opportunity when they don't know the ropes and having someone who can sit alongside you shotgun and help them direct that is very, very powerful and can open up a lot of doors. So, dude, if I left anything out, please let me know. No, thank you. That was really, I appreciate that. And yeah, I think you and I should chat further. And if anybody else is interested, you can reach out to Reed or me and we can connect each other. And I'm I'm definitely going to um, use this. You've lifted me up today, Reed. I really appreciate it. I needed this on my Friday. Uh, awesome. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me here. My pleasure all. Uh, again, thank you so much for jumping on today's show. Enjoy the afternoon in, in Puerto Vallarta and the weekend, and we'll catch up very, very soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, there you have it. A massive, massive episode with Andrew. If you do want to check him out, make sure you go to andrewstartups.com. It's also me, M-E at andrewstartups.com to check out everything that he's doing in the startup world. But also, if you're interested to learn about what he's doing in Mexico and how he's buying different investment opportunities 
for US citizens in Mexico. It's a really, really interesting space, and I know I'm definitely going to talk to him a little bit about it offline. I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ. The easiest way to give back to this show is to give it a five-star review on iTunes, and we're going to do it all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. 